And we see this in a lot of uh, populations. If you want to look at epidemiology, the longest living population in the world is Hong Kong. They have the highest red meat consumption in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, we see this uh, oftentimes people point to um, uh, what groups they point to in uh, Seventh-day Adventists as part of that whole Blue Zones thing, which is also a farce. That'd be a whole other topic to, <laughs> to cover. Uh, they just cherry pick populations that they lack adequate um, uh, birth certificate uh, <clears throat> documentation. But Welcome to the Weight Loss for Women podcast, a place where we share everything you need to know about restoring your metabolism so you can eat more, train less, and lose weight in a healthy and sustainable way. I'm Kitty Bluefield, co-founder of New Strength and Saturay, creator of pro-metabolic food supplements and seriously saturated skincare. And today I've got the awesome Stan Effany back on the podcast. We just had him on recently to talk all about salt, which was an awesome episode because I just get asked so many questions about salt. Um, and is it good? Is it bad? You know, how much salt? So if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to it. Um, and you know, Stan gives us a bit of an update on what he's doing. So we won't recap that. So, but welcome back, Stan. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. So today, another awesome topic I think is red meat. Um, and you know, I think I just get a lot of comments on my Instagram, you know, from um, vegans and vegetarians and just people who think that too much red meat, you know, you shouldn't eat red meat. It causes heart disease and cancer. And so let's talk. I know you're a big, you, you love the red meat and you're a big sure supporter do. of good, good quality red meat. I do. And, uh, you know, I've heard all the same arguments and, and certainly from, uh, you know, there's different ways to look at it. One is in terms of health. Um, another one, of course, is ethics. Another one is environment. Uh, those are, you know, much different conversations. And so I'll focus on just the health conversation today because you're right. A lot of people do demonize red meat. Uh, and, you know, I think most significantly the World Health Organization's uh, cancer research group, IARC, uh, International Association of uh, whatever research on cancer, I've I, I, pretty sure, uh, had included red meat, particularly processed red meat and uh, potential cancer causing, although 99.9% .9 of everything they've ever studied has been labeled as potentially causing cancer, including coffee at one point, one point which was the one thing that they actually removed from that list. But, um, and, and, you know, there's certainly some, some uh, difficulties with the, that research as well. A lot of the IARC folks are publishing vegans, vegetarians who don't uh, disclose bias. Um, and it's mostly researched on, done on epidemiology. Uh, they didn't include any RCTs in that study. And it wasn't unanimous. There were plenty of people on that uh, committee who, who objected to the, uh, I think the, uh, the, the, the evidence and, and to just how convincing it was. And so, uh, but generally speaking, uh, you know, I'll keep it kind of simple to start. I work and have worked with a lot of athletes since I was, uh, you know, in college and I've been a, a trained high school collegiate professional athletes as well as lots of, uh, dad bods and soccer moms, thousands of people over the years. It's what I've been doing since, since college. It's what I studied in college. I exercise science and I've, uh, owned gyms, been a personal trainer, obviously competed and worked with a lot of, uh, competitive bodybuilding figure physique, bikini, uh, athletes, men and women, both. And, uh, uh, I find that women in particular, uh, particularly 
with those in, in the weight loss industry, the competitive weight loss industry, which unfortunately now has permeated into soccer moms copying those diets, which is why it is more compelling now than ever, because they, they think that those guru bikini diets are somehow uh, recommended. And I, what I find is, is that these competitors, uh, although they're standing there up there on stage in the best shape of their life, often have a, a little host of, of problems. Uh, obviously a lot of them are low thyroid, uh, and losing their hair. And, uh, a lot of them suffer from the female triad, which is, you know, amenorrhea or cessation of the menstrual period. Um, you know, just chronic calorie restriction, uh, calcium loss, obviously bone mineral density decrease, uh, and iron deficiency, which is, uh, you know, as a result of, I think, taking red meat out of the diet. Uh, it's one of the, the highest iron foods that, uh, and most easily bioavailable that could be consumed. And these guru dieters have, have long since demonized red meat, they've demonized dairy, they've demonized fruit, demonized salt. Um, and you end up on a diet of tilapia and, and broccoli and, and, you know, maybe a dollop of peanut butter, which becomes a, a you know, a, a handful of peanut butter at times. Um, and I think those diets end up creating those deficiencies that I just mentioned. So one of the things that I try and do first and foremost is get a more diverse diet. Uh, included in that guru diet would be eating egg whites and, and excluding the egg, the, the, the egg yolk. It's just a, another thing that, that causes uh, micronutrient deficiencies. It's where all the, the choline is and the biotin. You know, biotin being important for skin, hair, and nails. And so red meat's one of the things in addition to keeping an egg yolk in and keeping some dairy in and keeping fruit in and, uh, that I, I recommend primarily because of the iron content. It's uh, much richer in iron, uh, B12 and zinc than uh, all those alternative uh, protein sources that I just mentioned, whether it's tilapia or even chicken or certainly egg whites. And I see a lot of women uh, suffering from uh, low iron, uh, who, which you know manifests itself in, in extremely low energy levels. It's one of the, the worst problems with it. Uh, and I see this even unfortunately in high school and collegiate athletes, I was working with a girls softball team in Arizona last summer and a couple of the girls had had a significant decrease in performance and they were tired all the time. I asked the parents to get a blood test for their daughters and sure enough, they were low in iron. Uh, and the intervention, you know, the, the, the cure for that was to increase their iron intake in their diet. Uh, and the prescription that, that I would recommend is that you utilize both the heme and non-heme source of iron along with the source of vitamin C. Those three things together can dramatically improve iron absorption. And so I would use red meat, some spinach, and some oranges or orange juice uh, or peppers. Peppers are, have twice as much vitamin C as, as oranges. Um, and in just a very short period of time, like within a matter of days, they'll see an increase in their energy. It may take a week or more uh, before they have a recognizable increase in their blood markers and up to a month to fully recover from significant iron deficiency in their in their blood testing uh but they'll they'll almost immediately start to have uh an energy benefit as a result and so that's one of the big reasons i include eating red meat uh and particularly for women i also uh, uh need to caution that the types of red meat do matter it does appear that too much processed red meat uh may have some adverse effects on on health but also I guess the biggest consideration is in terms of the total dietary pattern. This isn't talking about a specific food, but 
in terms of the total dietary pattern, you want to keep saturated fats, uh, especially for those people who suffer from uh, elevated LDL. Under about 10 or 12%, the American Heart Association recommends. Most of the research suggests anything below 15% probably is, uh, is not going to cause an elevation in LDL. And that's kind of specific to the saturated fats that cause an elevated LDL. Which, are, which can be things like high saturated fat animal foods, uh, but that excludes dairy. Uh, the type of fat in dairy uh, does not appear to elevate LDL. Uh, the, what they call the um, uh, milk fat globule membrane um, does, does not appear the way that, that that fat is presented to the body does not appear to raise cholesterol. Uh, or raise LDL, I should say. I have to make sure I distinguish between um, saturated fat and cholesterol. Increase saturated fat in the diet. That above, say, again, American Heart Association recommends less than 10% of total calories from saturated fats excludes dairy from that group. Um, although it includes butter, because when when dairy is churned into butter, it it uh, breaks down that milk fat globulin membrane and can increase LDL. And so I, I want to be specific. Um, so if the overall dietary pattern, if you're eating a lean meat, say a top sirloin uh, or sirloin tip, or top round, uh, usually the tops uh, are, are about a third saturated fat as, as, as a percentage of total fats. And I think we both recommend diets that probably don't exceed 30% total fats because yeah. we're, we're, we push protein at 30% or thereabouts somewhere north of 25% of total calories. And then, you know, if you get 25, 30% of fat, well, now, now you're at 60% of total calories and the rest for us is carbs to fuel performance and, and energy. Uh, and just to make the diet more enjoyable, to be honest with you. Uh, and so you can comply with it. So if, if protein's at 25, 30% and fats are at 25, 30%, let's go with the high at 30%, and only a third of that is saturated fat, well, there's your 10%, and you're, you're well within. Uh, and that's even if you're just eating the meat. Now, you, you use if part of that fat intake is uh, dairy, then uh, that's excluded from the saturated fat total. Uh, you only include those those saturated fats that increase LDL, which again is butter, bacon, really fatty meats. Like uh, stuff you got to kind of avoid is the is the fast food meats. They're like a 75-25 beef, which is equivalent to that of a hot dog. And would you say stand too that like the like the quality, like what the cows been eating? Like for example, you know, like with dairy farming, it's pretty good. Not dairy, sorry, farming. Farming in Australia, so they're grass fed and finished. You know, they're. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Because in terms of health, in terms of the individual, uh, there's no meaningful difference, to be honest. Mm. Uh, my co-author of, of The Vertical Diet is a PhD, RDN. He was a director of dietetics for UNLV. He was a consultant to the California Beef Council for years. Both the grass-fed, I should say grass-finished and grain-finished sides of the industry. Mm. Uh, he's as knowledgeable as anybody in the industry on this topic. And there are some minor differences, grass finished to grain finished. But again, now if we step back and look at the, at the total dietary pattern and the total saturated fat content, uh, now a grass finished 
beef may be leaner and it would be quote unquote better only as so much as it was you were able to decrease your total saturated fat intake. Having said that, if you get a grass finished ribeye and compare it to a grain finished top sirloin, mm. your top sirloin is going to be lower in saturated fat from the grain finished cattle, unless you're using a specialty product. I know there is one, um, I'm trying to remember the name of them, but there's a there's some breeds that they've purposely bred the fat very, very, very low on. Piedmontese beef is an example. Uh, they've got they've got uh, ribeyes that that are like less than a quarter saturated fat as a total percentage of fats. They're super, super, super lean, but they're tender because of the way they bred their cow. That's an aside. So I I know it it really frustrates people to hear that there's probably no meaningful difference between grass finished and grain finished, and understand that all cattle, all cows are, are weaned on their mother's milk, eat grass throughout the vast majority of their life. How they're finished is different. Some are grass finished, some are grain finished. Uh, there was a concern at one time that the omega-6 to omega-3 ratios of the cattle uh, would make a health difference. As it turns out, there's just not enough evidence to suggest that's the case. The grass finished cattle will have a slightly higher omega-3 content it's not meaningful because the omega-3s in beef are so low. For instance, a salmon is 200 times the omega-3 content of beef. You don't eat beef for omega-3s. The amount you'd have to consume to get a, a, a significant dose would be outrageous. So it's not where you go looking for that, right? Mm. Uh, so that, those are, these aren't good arguments. And now if you want to talk about environmental arguments, then again, that you could start arguing uh, whether or not there's fewer resources utilized and land uh, in in uh, grain finished cattle because they they fatten up quicker and, and uh, they utilize less less land for less length of time. <laughs> uh, so that can be a back and forth. But I think just in terms of health, I know people often think that they have to buy grass finished and that it's some like grass fed, like if cattle's mainly grain fed versus grass fed. You know, like some yeah. over here where they just grain feed them. Like you could in our supermarkets, you'll have like sections, and they'll be like grain fed, grass fed, because that's yeah. very small, isn't it? Like that last time where they're finished, <laughs> sorry finished, like whether they're grain finished or grass, yeah. short period of time in their lives. There's some great research on this. It's really only the last few months of their lives, yeah. um, and it does change uh, the omega three to omega six ratio of the meat. There's most certainly does do that. It's just that it doesn't seem to be meaningful in terms of health outcomes, mm. the general dietary pattern, the saturated fat, total saturated fat content as it affects the individual's LDL levels. It's not everybody, uh, has an adverse re reaction to saturated, increased saturated fat on their LDLs. Increased saturated fat intake is just it for some people. It, uh, it decreases their cholesterol clearance. And so cholesterol accumulates as a result and may uh, create atherosclerosis or, or plaque, plaquing just because it's it's elevated in circulation for a longer period of time. It's, it, again, not meaningful in terms of health outcomes. And we have plenty of research in the vertical diet. We, we, we have over 500 peer-reviewed published research references throughout the book. It's over 225 pages where I take a deep dive into these things because it, you know, it's hard in, in just a short period of time, but I would, I would certainly, and if anybody had any questions or comments, uh, or they wanted to DM me, I could, I could just copy and paste a reference to some of the largest trials 
Cochrane Collaboration, which is uh, you know one of the, the most uh, prominent research organizations in the world, uh, have made these same statements that I'm making. This isn't coming from state effort. It's coming from the body of research, and I'm happy to provide the, the references and articles. I know it's a it's a hot topic because mostly because of the ethics and environmental concerns and uh, you know PETA and vegan organizations. God bless them for for you know they're, they're more than welcome to Apple's positions. But in terms of health outcomes, mm-hmm. um, if the dietary pattern maintains total saturated fat below ten percent, uh, and it's part of a healthy diet, meaning it includes a sufficient amount of uh, fiber in the diet. Um, then the, the outcomes are, uh, an, uh, a healthy omnivore diet as compared to a healthy vegan or vegetarian diet have equivalent outcomes. And we see this in a lot of, uh, populations. If you want to look at epidemiology, the longest living population in the world is Hong Kong. They have the highest red meat consumption. In the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see this, uh, oftentimes people point to, um, uh, what groups they point to in, uh, Seventh-day Adventists is part of that whole Blue Zones thing, which is also a farce. That'd be a whole other topic to, to cover. Uh, they just cherry-pick populations that, that lack adequate um, uh, birth certificate uh, <clears throat> documentation. But right down the street from, from them is your Mormons, who live just as long but consume a significant amount of meat. Uh, and I'm not saying exclusively, but they're omnivores. There's other factors that are much more important, you know, obviously body weight, you know, your BMI, uh, your level of exercise, your fiber consumption. Stress. I think stress is a huge one. <laughs> not smoking, not drinking. Uh, the, the problem with a lot of the epidemiology around red meat is, is highly confounded by the healthy user bias, which is that people who tend to eat more red meat, tend to smoke more, drink more, weigh more, exercise less. And they're cons- what are they consuming with the red meat? And things like bacon are included in these red meat diets. And, um, you know, bacon double cheeseburger with fries and a Coke is very different than a top sirloin steak. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like if you're eating a shit ton of bacon and McDonald's and you're eating, yeah, like that's getting all your meat and like salami and all these processed right. versus you're having some nice eggs and a piece of steak every day. And yeah, it's looking at the whole diet in context rather than agree. Yeah. And you're keeping your saturated fats below 10% and you're getting, you know, 14 grams of, of fiber per a thousand calories. You do that. And again, this has been talked about many, many times by, uh, Dr. Lane Norton of all people, uh, you know, who, who, uh, has cited, you know, many times the research suggesting that when you look at comparably healthy dietary patterns, I think one of the studies was done on um, Whole Foods shoppers, uh, who, which would eliminate a lot of the healthy user bias because people who have shopped at Whole Foods generally tend to be higher socioeconomic, uh, better uh, body composition, BMI, non-smokers, uh, not excessive drinkers, regular exercisers. So they took that group and they, they divided them into two, one vegetarian, one omnivore, and they found they had equivalent health outcomes. And that's because they controlled all of those other uh, factors. Mm, yeah, no, it's interesting. It's not just nutrition. Like there's, there's so many other things that, you know, contribute. I think I just, I know I keep saying about stress, but just, you know, people have these really stressful lives, Yeah, you know, like terrible relationships or they hate their oh, job. They're working like, you know, 15 hours a day in a job that they hate and they're not getting enough sleep and 
Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of things, like you said, they're a lot more important. Where it concerns me the most is that I find that people who tend to demonize, uh, who restrict or be advised to restrict red meat are also advised or demonized uh, to restrict a whole lot of other things, like I discussed earlier. Next thing you know, they're eschewing dairy and, and egg yolks. Yeah. Yeah. And fruit. You know, because a, a grape may raise your insulin levels and you'll never be able to lose weight. Uh, thank you, Dr. Fung. Um, that's my bigger concern is that when you're excluding, what else are you excluding if you're excluding red meat? And that's, how does that affect your total dietary pattern? And uh, are you restricting so many things that now you start to, man- start to manifest itself in all of those health issues we discussed earlier? That might be actually another good topic to talk about because I feel like this is something that women will comment on a lot on my pages, you know, that like, how do we, we've talked about this before, but you need to be in a calorie deficit to lose weight. So, you know, a lot of women think that they need to do this crazy, like keto or carnivore or these crazy diets. It's like, well, you can eat carbs and be in a calorie deficit and have a more balanced approach and feel better and sleep better. You don't have to, you're not going to lose weight faster. You just, it's by default because you're cutting out an entire macronutrient. Therefore, you know, I think, and really trying to encourage women to track their food and get an understanding of like how many calories they're eating. Are they getting enough protein? You know, just because you don't need to do these crazy drastic things. Yeah. Matter of fact, I think I was just on Instagram the other day and Dr. Bill Campbell, is that, he's out of Florida. Isn't that correct? I'm pretty sure he's a, a, a well-renowned researcher, particularly amongst the fitness industry. I think he brings in a lot of people and from the university there at Florida and studies competitive physique editors, bikini figure and the like. Um, but he talks generally speaking about the research on diets. And I think he said that the most successful diet was the one obviously that you'd follow, but tracking calories as much as, as people, you know, try and demonize tracking calories. Uh, they had the, they have the highest rate of compliance and it would be no different than balancing your checkbook. I mean, if you just, if you don't know what you're taking in and expending, uh, it can be really hard. And maybe over time, uh, he was. Com- I think the study was comparing tracking calories to intuitive eating, which is I, I don't know. It's kind of a nebulous term, mm. uh, but uh, you know, intuitive spending. <laughs> it's just yeah, you you have to at some point have at least a basic knowledge of what foods, uh, you know, how many calories are in particular foods, so that that you know what foods to to eat less of. And what foods are more satiating that you can eat more of just with those little tidbits of knowledge, you know, helping people navigate, uh, making the choices that might make them more likely to succeed. The biggest, most obvious ones is the ultra processed foods. We just tend to eat more up to 500 calories a day more in research when we're eating ultra processed, you know, highly palatable ultra processed foods. And all of those foods are high in a combination of carbs and fats. It's not any individual. It's just calories in general, and that's what's very palatable is the blend of those uh, two together. Yeah, we went out to lunch yesterday for a friend's birthday, and like I don't know, like in the US, I'm sure it's the same. Even the better restaurants too, like they just like load everything with fat. So like I had this nice. It was really nice. It was this like grilled chicken thigh with the skin on, but again, skin on chicken thigh, higher fat. Had this like really delicious sauce based on it and then you know salad they always like it's not that olive oil is bad but it's just fucking so much olive oil you know like there's a lot of fat 
yeah, they just drench it in olive oil. There's cheese in there too, which again, cheese isn't bad, but it's just that total fat in that meal. And then we had the like potatoes with butter and, and again, butter. It's not that it's bad. It's just, yeah. I just knew I'm like, fuck, there's just going to be so much calories in this. And it's just, you don't, you eat it and it's not like you feel stuffed, but there's so many more calories. And I think people just aren't aware, like you say. And then when you start to track things, you just hold, you're like, holy shit. <laughs> Well, you're right. You don't feel stuffed. If you eat more protein and more fiber, you get full quicker mm. and you stay full longer. But those fats, they're almost like hidden calories. Like you said, it's not good food, bad food conversation. It's just the fact that you know, one of those little dips at, at uh, like at the McDonald's chicken nugget with a, you know, a sweet and sour sauce or something. I started looking at the calories in those little sauces one time. Some of them are 300 calories. Oh, and one of those crazy. little those little teeny tiny peel off trays yeah some of them are huge in calories and the reason i was looking is this uh i mentioned compliance is the science and so i try and design diets for people that are consistent with their lifestyle that they'll be able to adhere to long term not everybody's able to prep their food that's probably the most successful behavior that you can utilize is, is food is meal prep we've talked about this before it's been studied many times and shown that if you prepare your food and you have your little tupperwares or you're using meal prep company uh, that you're able to adhere to your diet much better than is if you you know go out and eat when you're hungry, what you're hungry for. You tend to, to massively overeat it. Uh, so uh, I oftentimes have to make recommendations for uh, both adults and adolescents, you know, high school kids, as to how to responsibly eat out. Mm. Uh, you know, I have people that are professionals that travel a lot, and there's just no way they can meal prep. And so I've got to teach them what restaurants they can go to and what meal items they can pick out those restaurants. And generally speaking, if I just have a look at the protein to fat ratio at, as a, and look for a two to one protein to fat ratio, if it's got 24 grams of protein and 12 grams of fat or less, that's probably a pretty good choice. Most of the time, even when I'm at Costco and I'm sifting through those frozen meals, uh, like my pops is 92 and he likes to have something he can throw in the microwave really easy, right? But I'm fortunate I own a meal prep company so I can send... You know, and I design most of my meals to have a two to one protein to fat ratio just because it, it, yeah. I don't use the word healthier, but it's more satiating yeah. to get a higher protein diet and generally lower calorie overall. So, uh, but what I look for when I pull that, that frozen box of whatever it is, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, a shrimp, uh, bowl or it's, a uh, um, you know, a breakfast burrito or whatever else. I just flip it over and I, I look, I see what's the protein to fat ratio. If I can get somewhere close to two to one, uh, that's a winner for me. You know, and if it's a, a little pizza and it's got like seven grams of protein and 22 grams of fat, probably not the best choice, you know, particularly for my kids. So uh, that's one of the ways that I do that. And I, I'll, I've even pulled up menus off of, as uh, I have clients, believe it or not, professional athletes who <laughs> just won't stay out of the fast food restaurants they love you know whenever you name the restaurant they want to go there they just love fast food so i try and pull down their menus and look for the very same thing and i say well how about making these choices at those places mm. uh, you know and and i use that it's kind of my you, know, you can go to subway and get the meatball sandwich it's very low in protein very high in fat or you could get a uh, double steak or chicken mm. and it's much much higher in protein much lower in fat so those are the kind of little simple choices that I, I make, uh, recommendations that I make, you know, especially for high school kids who are traveling for sports and there's just no way for them to, uh, you know, tote their food around 
to a different school or state, you know, for the weekend. Uh, those are some of the the recommendations that I make that can help them comply. If they just have little tools like that, yeah, uh, it's very helpful. I think too, like, remember, I would say this to women, like, it's what you're doing most of the time and thinking about, like, the frequency. Like, we don't go out, like, we probably won't go out now. Like, this would be once in a fortnight. And then every other meal that I have is tracked, measured, you know, I'm keeping my fat. I need really super high fat, high carbs, lots of protein. So it's like that. And I also had three cocktails, which were amazing, but I enjoyed them. But I can feel it today, but I just accept it. You know, I had the one meal, enjoyed my three cocktails, came home. You know, I just had the, that lunch meal, had my breakfast, had my normal dinner, had my ice cream and salt and everything. It's like, that's not going to make a difference yeah. to me because it's one meal. But if you're like, say, if you're doing a fat loss phase, if you're eating out frequently, then you ha- if you ke- if you do that all the time. No, I, you're absolutely right. The frequency is huge. And then, you know, what choice you make when you're there. I mean, if you're slamming down a whole loaf of bread with a pad of butter on each piece prior to eating, and then you order the fettuccine Alfredo at Cheesecake Factory has 2,200 calories. Then you finish that with an entire slice of cheesecake. Uh, and then you you get a, you know, your alcohol drink is loaded with some sugar beverage. Alternatively, I, I recommend that that, uh, that people, when they sit down, they order a Diet Coke and an iced tea. And they drink both of them in their entirety prior to the food coming. You'll find that they'll eat a lot less food as a result and still have a good satiety, of, you know, satiety effect. And then chase a, a high protein meal, a steak salad or a salmon salad with the dressing on the side, and just dip your fork in the dressing as opposed to having it soaked. Because I mean, it, you can literally wring that stuff out of there. Oh, it's crazy. Uh, and then you know, split the dessert. Uh, and that's, that's perfectly fine. And again, the frequency matters, but those are the recommendations that, that I make that are a little easier to comply with, I think. And like you say, once you start tracking, you get an understanding of like what's in foods, how much protein do I need? Then you could could go out and you think, oh fuck, like, wow, this salad's got to probably have 600 bloody calories in it because it's drenched in this dressing. Like you start to become more aware and you can make better choices. And, um, you know, we often, I think yesterday we got the chicken, we got the barramundi, I only had a couple of bits of potato, just a little bit of salad, ate the chicken, you know, enjoy, I just really love, I love coconut margaritas. So I was like, I'm just going to have them and enjoy them. And that's my thing for the day. And then, you know, came home and had just had my normal dinner. Um, you know, well, and even the drink, if you do it, oh, the drink would have had so many calories probably. In it. Yeah. And I'm just say do a vodka lime. Okay. Yeah. Do something yeah. that, that doesn't have the, the entire can of Red Bull in it. Yeah. <laughs> You know, all the, the sugary uh, add-ins to the, the alcohol is what gets you. So if you can find, and I've even had people take Nun tablets, which are calorie-free, and, and they're, they're pretty tasty, they're pretty delicious. Take a, a little tube of Nun, N-U-U-N, name of it. It's kind of like a, you know, a liquid IV or an LFMNT or something. It has a little bit of salt in it, which helps with hydration. You should be drinking sufficient water with the alcohol, but usually this the salt depletion is another one of the things that, mm-hmm. that leads to that that hangover the next day, but, uh, you could just get a, a straight alcohol and then just break your favorite flavor of noon tablet into it. If you want, mm-hmm. if, uh, if that helps. And, um, some people, you know, will, will make those choices and be able to dramatically trim off some yeah. of the calories from the dinner. Yeah. yeah. Or just, you know, while you're doing your fat loss phase, just don't drink. Like we say, like it's probably, probably a pretty good idea. The biggest problem with yeah. drinking, especially in the evening is, is it has a significant effect on sleep. sleep. Uh, REM and stage four sleep in particular, so you wake up tired and then it has a a real big effect on 
satiety the next day and insulin resistance the next day. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You just like, I mean, look, I love to drink, but I just drink infrequently, but I yeah. always notice it had those three cocktails and I can feel that I've had drinks. Today. I'm not like really hung over anything, but you know, I just, you yeah. can, I don't feel, I usually I'd feel fresher, you know, I could, yeah. just, so I think it's, yeah, it's, I mean, Craig doesn't even drink at all. He doesn't drink, but yeah, you just try not to do it too much. And I think if you're in a fat loss phase, cause it's like, it's still calories and you've got to take those calories from somewhere and you'll just be starving. You'll be starving. Yeah. You won't sleep. Then the next day you'll be hungry and you'll want to eat more. And it just will make the whole experience, I think, much tougher. Yeah. That kind of circles us back to where we started. It's moderation, you know. Yeah, moderation. <laughs> you know, we, we, we rolled into this conversation talking about red meats and immediately people, you know, have this all or nothing mentality. Mm. I'm not a carnivore guy, you know, and it, it, as part of a healthy uh, dietary uh, pattern you can incorporate a lot of your favorite foods but you have to look at quantity and frequency and and yeah. are you getting you know sufficiently healthy foods with that and I, I think red meat can certainly be part of uh, a healthy dietary pattern uh, and and I, I think we've covered I think a whole host of potential benefits particularly for individuals who have been significantly restricting uh, and for active individuals in particular, uh, you want to be more diverse with more nutrient-dense, highly bioavailable foods, which red meat certainly qualifies for that, as well as the yogurts and the uh, fruits, uh, the egg yolks. Uh, mm. just stop over-restricting. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. But balance. A bit more balance. I think I love what you said, moderation. I think, And that's what's something I used to really struggle with is practicing moderation. I think a lot of women who come into our program are the same. They're like, you know, we say to them, look, eat these foods 80 to 90% of the time to get the nutrients ones we've talked about. And then like you say, if you want to go out occasionally and have, you really love a cocktail, have the cocktail, drink it, really enjoy it, you know, like, but you don't have to have 10 and get shit faced. Or, you know, if you really like, say, want to have, you love cheesecake or something, just have a small slice. You know, yeah. you don't have to eat the whole cake. And I think once you, because I think too, like when you're eating all these foods we talk about, when you're eating food you actually enjoy, you know, like I eat ice cream every single night, potatoes every day. I love potatoes, cheese, milk. Yeah. You don't feel like you're missing out on anything. You're not thinking, oh, fuck, I want to go and smash 10 large pizzas and, you know, yeah. waking because I'm just eating chicken and salad every fucking day. <laughs> you know, another strategy that we use, you talked about having certain, being able to eat your favorite foods. And I, I think that's important because we found in the research that when you abstain, that you end up binging. And so uh, probably a better idea to incorporate smaller amounts, less frequency, but less frequently than to try and completely abstain. Although, you know, individualistic, it, it's individualistic. I've, I've had clients tell me that if they have one, they're eating a whole box. Okay. Uh, so here's what we recommend. First of all, you know, having a plan, having an alter, alternative, uh, to your favorite high calorie snack. Like in your case, you, you mentioned you like ice cream. Uh, there are lower calorie or lower fat choices uh, uh, that you can utilize if you want that. Or maybe you get a little bit of... Um, well, I actually thin. I must just say I make mine and I make a lower fat version just so Perfect. it can blow out my... So I use like skim milk, like two-thirds skim you milk, go. 300 mils of cream. I put collagen, some sugar... Yeah. And an egg yolk, and then it's still I can have like 150 grams with right. them, you know, because a lot of the ones you buy in the supermarket too, they're full of other shit as well. But they're also just all cream, so it's just so fatty. So every night, yes. I have this 
150 grams of ice cream, it's the best. Yeah, they're very calorie dense. You're yeah. right. My kids love ice cream too. So a lot of times I try and give them, I got Crystal Light, which is pretty affordable. And it, it's, it, you just mix a little bit of Crystal Light in with yogurt. And now they've got all the flavors they want, as opposed to buying a flavored yogurt, which is usually really high in sugar. You know, the, the Yoplait, the, and some of them are very high in sugar. Uh, alternatively, snacks that are lower calorie. I like, uh, we have something here, Bill Tong. It's a jerky that's very low in sugar and very low in fat. And now you're, at least you're, you're chewing and eating something. You're, you're kind of, a lot of this behavior isn't necessarily hunger. It's habit, stress, uh, you know, just winding down, relaxing, those kinds of things. A lot of people eat for a lot of reasons other than hunger. And so uh, popcorn is one that Lane Norton's very, very, uh, eats a lot of. You could find one that's not, you know, covered in oils and fat. Make your own. Sometimes I make my own popcorn. It's easy just with a bit of coconut oil some in the pot. With It's not that difficult to make your own and put a bit of salt on there. Exactly. And then to have a lot of that stuff available very quickly for you in the evening time. Uh, when you would normally be snacking on a high calorie snack. And then oftentimes I'll suggest not having those high calorie snacks, your favorite snacks within reach at home mm. creates a barrier of entry. Yes, you can go get it, but you have to go get it. Now you got to get dressed, you got to get the car, you got to drive somewhere, whereas you might be able to grab one of these alternate snacks. They've even studied this by putting certain foods closer and further from an individual. Mm. And they'll eat more of the one that's closer to them. We know that from the research on things like a remote control, how long will you sit and watch something crappy on TV because you can't reach the remote control? <laughs> it, it is true. It is true. Setting yourself up for success. And I think like really yeah. balancing your meals well, you know, eating the meals that work for you in terms of meal frequency. Like I find if I leave it too long, then I start to get too hungry. So I know, okay, it's six or five thirty, and then my next meal. Yeah, have a time. And it's Set ready. Yep. yep. You know, I've prepped everything today. Like for lunch, um, after this, I'll have like uh, tinned smoked sardines with rice with broth, big bowl of fruit. So it's really filling, you know, yeah. fats in there, protein, carbs. That'll be before training. I'm a training drink, then come back, got my rice pudding, you know, the yogurt. Like very, I think if you map it out and you have it, then you, when you start to get hungry, you've got it there, you're full. You're not going to be like, fuck, I want to eat a block of chocolate or, you know. Because you're right, when you're really tired, and I think that's where a lot of women now struggle, and we talked about it, it's the food prep. you got to do the food prep. I'm like, it's just you have to do it. It'll set you up success. You'll have the meals ready. Because how, like, you know, when you're really tired, and I can imagine with women with kids, gets the yeah. end of the day, you haven't got any food prep, your kids have been screaming at your day, you're, you're, you're starving, yeah, and you just need that chocolate, or you just need that. So it's just so much harder. Like I think successful people are successful because they make it easier to succeed. Yeah. Like don't put themselves in these, like if you're an alcoholic and you, okay, I'm going to go out and party in a bar or not. It's probably not the greatest. Yeah. yeah if, if your kids are hungry and you're on the way home from school or practice and you, and they want to stop by Subway or McDonald's, uh, you know, yes, you can make choices both for you and your kids at those locations. But if you have, prepped a meal prior and I like to take mine around in the thermos a little 24 ounce thermos it's double insulated it'll stay hot for many many hours so when I'm making breakfast I make two more meals and I use a little jarring funnel and I just put those other two meals into my thermos and put the lid on they'll stay hot for at least eight hours and so if I have to go pick the kids up and we get they want to stay at the park or we get diverted and they they, they want to go to uh you know some function or whatever I've got my meal, you know, I do the same thing when I travel, I have that with me. So I've got, 
eating airport food or uh, room service or fast food when I'm on the road. I'm eating what I've prepared or what I take with me uh, with my frozen meals. And I stay in a hotel with a fridge and a microwave. It's not yeah. hard to do. And I, I, I just make sure I've always got what I need and what I need it. Yeah, I think and some women will just push back on this a little bit with me and be like, oh, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to have to, you know, prep everything. And I said, but yeah, like, what's the alternative? Like, think about where you are now. You're stressed, you're tired, you're not sleeping. You know, you fit, you, you said to me, I want to lose weight. I don't feel good. You know, I'm like 40% body fat. You know, wouldn't it be easier just to put a little bit of effort into, you know, prepping a bit of food and having it ready and balancing your blood sugar and just feeling full and, and having more energy and then sleeping you know, rather than going, oh, I just, I can't put the effort into prepping food. And then I, but then you just, if you don't change anything, nothing will change, you know? I don't know. I yeah. just, I don't know if you get a bit of pushback on that. Sometimes I get pushback. Yeah. And I, I just have to provide alternates. Again, I find out what they like to eat, when they like to eat, where they like to eat, or most commonly. Mm. Uh, and then I try and find choices that they can make at those locations that are consistent with their goals. Mm. Uh, one of the things I like about keeping red meat in the diet is just one more protein source you have to chase from. So it yeah. just gives you more variety. Uh, and, the, and same with the, the Greek yogurt. You know, these are just really simple, uh, you know, alternatives to, to tilapia or boneless, skinless chicken breast every single day, which is monotonous, yeah. probably not terribly sustainable or enjoyable. Uh, so now we've got a, a larger, you know, palette of options to choose from. And so, uh, they, their diet can be more interesting and more of a lifestyle, uh, as long as we make the selections that, that, you know, are consistent with their macros, the, which would be the, the higher protein, lower fat choices. Uh, now they can include a bunch of different menu items that have a few ounces of steak in, them, you know, uh, or the, the fat-free Greek yogurt with strawberries, you know, those kinds of things lend themselves well to variety, taste, uh, and the probably more likely to adhere to the diet and they're higher in protein. So they're more satiating, uh, retain lean body mass, better, all the things that we're shooting for, you know, decrease postprandial glycemia. If I can get 40 grams of protein in them for breakfast, those are the hurdles that I generally have to overcome. It's, it's the, you know, that's a big, that's a big number. When you tell them, I need you to get 40 grams of protein for breakfast. They're like, Oh my God, I had one egg and a piece of toast. Okay. There's six grams. You know, where's the other 34 coming from? I need you to have 40 grams of protein for breakfast. If I can start to get them over that hurdle, we can make significant strides into, you know, how they feel and, and how satiated they are. And, uh, I think that's probably the best. And, and if I give them options, the more options to do that. Yeah, and I think too, like once they get in a bit of rhythm and you get yourself into these habits, it just like anything becomes easier. And I had this client, I interviewed her on our podcast um, and she was saying to me, oh, you know, like, it is pretty easy going out. I just, I, we went out for lunch the other day. I looked ahead at the restaurant. I saw they had a steak, but they only had 400 grams. So what I did is I ordered the steak. I cut it in half, ate half, had it with my potato. And then I took the other half home and had it for dinner. I was like, oh, that's brilliant. Like, what a great idea. Yeah. Just takes up a little bit of planning and preparation. And, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it doesn't have and to. And it's rarely the steak. I think I was just looking at a post by um, Astrid who is on team BioLane, um, uh, anti-diet dietitian out of Australia. Uh, she made a post, I think just the other day, she was, somebody was like, you know, I get just as much protein for peanut butter and steak. And it's like maybe with three times the calories. Uh, so I think that, that 
that's one of the neat things about using these something like a mean steak as opposed to an alternative protein source. It's much lower in total overall calories. And it has, uh, yeah, I did, I'm actually doing a series this next three weeks just on protein. So like breaking it all yeah. down. One of the posts I did was like comparing 125 grams of um, beef cheeks, just because I like beef cheeks versus how to get the same amount of protein. So 25 grams of protein from peanut butter, tofu, and right. there's company kelps, and it's like you just have to eat fuck ton more of it. And there's so much more calories, more fat, more carbs. So it's not really efficient way to get to get protein in. Agree, agree. And uh, second to that, I would say that it's what's on the steaks. You mentioned earlier that restaurants like to put a lot of oils on there. They also like to melt a lot of butter. You go to a nice restaurant, and they'll put a damn near a cube of butter on that thing and put it in a 1500 degree, you know, top flame it oven. So good. Yeah, it just melts in your mouth, but uh, I'll have a guy tell me, oh, I had top sirloin steak. I'm like, where did you have it? A top Three ounces of top sirloin steak at home is 120 calories. Yeah. At a restaurant, you know, a six-ounce steak at a restaurant with butter on it might be 800 calories. There's a huge difference, you know, yeah, yeah. You depending on listen. what you put on it. Just if people send me, oh, but I don't want to be rude. Craig always laughs at me because every time I'm like, I'm like now, would it be possible? And I'm like, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? And he just laughs at me. But I'm like, who gives a fuck? You know, yeah. you can just ask them. Most of the time they'll go, yeah, no problem. And they'll do it. Yeah. Well, and most of the steaks, uh, the, like the the uh, the pan fried steaks are, are fried in a, you know, it's a fat and oil, uh, usually cottonseed oil because it doesn't transfer a lot of taste. But they'll pour a significant amount of that into the pan and just, and then set your steak in it. Well, now it's soaking up all that. That'll add as many calories as the steak to the meal. Yeah. It'll, it'll double the calories because you, you, you're soaking up all of that oil. And again, not demonizing the oil by any stretch of the imagination. I'm, I'm just saying that, that it's just more calories that you don't need or want in a diet scenario. Mm, mm, awesome. All right. Was there anything else that we you want to add that we haven't covered? I think we covered it all, and I hope we didn't piss off too many people. <laughs> <laughs> Red meat always does. One last thing. We get quite a lot of vegans and vegetarians. X, they'll come into our program. They start including animal products in their diet again. And like they're all suffering from like terrible periods, irregular periods. Yeah. Their hair's falling out, low energy. Obviously, they're eating other things as well. But when that once they start to include these animal products in their diet again, those things improve. It's amazing. Yeah, I agree. It's a, it's a hard topic to to discuss it's emotional topic it's vegan just by its very definition uh is an animal rights organization it's an ethical position it's a very hard thing to discuss and people would just as soon have a compromise in health so as not to uh you know harm uh, with their harm an animal uh, or what they refer to as a sentient being and i get it i'm 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 sensitive to that i have a whole chapter in my uh, ebook on vegetarian and vegan diets and I've trained clients who are vegan up to and including competitive clients who are vegan. Uh, you, a lot of folks who, who do vegan and vegetarian diets um, uh, eat a lot of processed food because uh, it's more convenient and that's not optimal. And so you do have to be, uh, I think you do have to be knowledgeable uh, enough to to implement a vegan or vegetarian diet healthfully, it can be done. It will require some supplementation, uh, uh, both in terms of probably a, a protein powder supplement. Uh, I mean, you could get enough protein 
from a strictly vegan diet, but you might have some gastric distress as a result. Some people just get, don't respond to the dietary. Uh, plant matter. It's hard to digest. It's- yeah, the beans and, and the like in the quantities that you need to get sufficient protein can, can be difficult to digest. But the um, there's a host of powders out there, whether it's soy or pea or, or a host of others that are sufficient. In protein, but then there also has to be some supplementation, whether it's iron, zinc, uh, vitamin B12, certainly. Be usable from yeah. vitamin A, retinol. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I, I list all of those in the program. And even some of the more prominent, I think, uh, well educated vegans and vegetarians. One in particular who's a vegetarian is Kamal Patel from examine.com, who I have very high regard for. They've got about a dozen or 14 PhDs in their organization over there. He's a vegetarian who's tried many times to go vegan, has always had a compromise in his health and has had to back off and include some some fish, some fatty fish, maybe salmon or some eggs, uh, maybe a lacto-abo, uh, you know, of the sort. It's because he's never been able to maintain his health as an individual who trains regularly. Um, he, he noticed a significant decline in performance and health. Uh, so it's not for everyone. And you do you should supplement. And some Again, I was referring to some of the more uh, knowledgeable and prominent vegan um, influencers uh, sell, you know, a, a supplement product that that uh, you know accounts for a lot of the deficiencies, and uh, recommend that that vegans do take, uh, you know, a host of a host. We talked about, like you said, retinol, B twelve, iron, possibly, uh, and a protein supplement. So it can be done, and uh, you know, it God bless you. Really difficult. It's hard. It's just harder. I think it is. Like I've said, compliance is a science and it's a very difficult diet to comply with, uh, especially for kids. I'm, 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 I'm pretty adverse to utilizing that kind of a diet for pregnant mothers, uh, nursing mothers, adolescent children going through puberty. Uh, I just, I see that there's a lot of problems with it. Maybe not perfectly done with supplementation, uh, but how many kids perfectly do anything. You you need a you need a little room to wiggle you know you need to have a little room for for error uh, and so that would be my major concern is what's the what's the long term compliance and those statistics don't look good uh, for vegan diets yeah yeah and I think we we interviewed um, they might actually get you on their podcast they're awesome they're called the Strong Sisters and they've opened a regenerative farm in the US. Yeah. They're amazing. And, uh, you know, they, we had them on the podcast to talk about this topic and, um, you know, I think if you, cause I, I, you know, you don't want to hurt animals, obviously like that's, I don't think anyone wants to hurt animals. So you can, you know, like you could support farmers like them, you know, yeah. where they treat their animals well and they, you know, kill them kindly and they, you know, it's regenerative farming. Um, yeah. I grew up, I grew up in, uh, in Oregon. We used to go out to Tillamook. Uh, where they had Tillamook cheese, very popular uh, out there. And their dairy cattle were treated like queens, you know. They, they were brushed and beds of hay. And, and there's lots of influencers on social media with dairy farms. They treat their cows very well. And I worked on a farm. My uncle owned a farm in Pennsylvania. And, I've, and we raised, uh, you know, chickens and cattle and pigs and, and planted potatoes and crops and the uh, whole nine yards. I've, I've done all that. And, uh, you know, I believe it's a cycle of life. I don't. I don't describe the same uh, sentient being uh, label to to animals, but I do think that they should be treated well. A lot of the documentaries are showing, uh, uh, usually they're showing operations that are international. They're, you know, let's say 
other countries where they, there is a lot of abuse. Mm. Uh, that should be certainly something uh, you know that we should endeavor at least here within our control of the United States to you know like I said to treat animals humanely. Yeah. Uh, but as far as as far as the idea that you know, and even vegan diets, uh, I think oftentimes people it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. You know, a lot of animals are killed uh, raising crops a lot, <laughs> and uh, it's it's just because it, you know it's not intentional, uh, or that's often the argument. Doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Yeah. It's just in, impossible. You know, it, it's it's a cycle of life, and I. I would like to minimize harm as much as possible, but I'd also uh, like to make sure that that uh, you know we have healthy diets for ourselves and our children. Yeah, and you can do things like uh, we talked about, you know, like support these local farmers and dairy farmers, and you yep. can like buy whole cows, like get a chest freezer, and you buy the whole cow, so you're not wasting any bits. You're eating all of the, you're eating the organ meats, you're eating the gelatinous parts, you know. So also yeah. good for your health, but less wastage too. So there's lots yeah. of things I think that you can do. And I actually interviewed a dairy farmer who was in our program. She's been a dairy farmer in Australia for 20 years just to talk about some of the misconceptions. And she said, you know, like we, she said, happy cows produce so much more milk, you yeah. know, like when you treat them well and you know, the thing about people like, oh, but hormones and things in milk, she's like, oh, the regulations are so full on in Australia, like every vat of milk. She's like, if there's some cow that's had something they've had to treat with anybody except to pull it out of the herd and they have to make sure yeah. like. She said, "If you if they test a vat of milk and it's not where it should be, like if there's anything in it, they don't take it. You don't get paid. They discard the whole thing. It goes yeah. to waste. You're 100 right. So yeah. it's I think all these people got like, oh, it's full of pus and it's full of antibiotics and you know it's like it's ridiculous. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and she said she they love the cows. They got names, and she said they really love the routine. Like they'll come up to the fence when they know it's their time to come in and get milk, and then they right. yeah." It's, um, yeah, some, some of these places set up these machines and the cows go in and milk themselves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, dairy is amazing. Oh, I guess kind of, just because I was like, didn't drink dairy for like 17 years of my life, ate soy, drank, oh, disgusting. And <sighs> just cheese. I just love cheese. And I love milk and I love yeah. ice cream. And I just, it's just so, at the moment, my breakfast is, I have these amazing, um, there's this brand in Australia called This Is Us, and they make sourdough crumpets. So I yeah. toast one of them, and I have a pet slice of Gouda full-fat cheese on it with raspberry jam, and then I have yep. like 300 grams of orange and a coffee made with skim milk, collagen, maple syrup. And I yeah. just, every morning I sit there and I just think, oh, this is just the best. This is the, like, I just love food. And that's a great thing. I mean, it's one of the most enjoyable things about life. And I think that people should have an opportunity to enjoy their food, which is why we, we talked about, you know, diversity so much here and uh, just designing a diet that allows you to enjoy your food, but also meets your goals. Uh, you know, we talked about higher protein, higher satiety foods. And, and then, uh, you know, we're not going to be able to get people to eat cardboard for an extended period of time. Yeah. It's not going to be something they're going to maintain. And, that's the biggest problem with long-term diet compliance. Long-term uh, weight loss maintenance is uh, compliance. Period. Not the type of diet. There's many paths to the same destination, uh, whether it's keto or paleo or intermittent fasting or you know you name the title. Uh, it, it, it doesn't matter. It's what you'll adhere to long-term. And so we just want to give people the opportunity to design a diet that if they enjoy that's consistent with their lifestyle. 
Yeah. And I think too, Stan, like, and I used to be like this too, and you talked about, you know, the competitors and you can be in, I think, good shape and at a healthy body fat percentage, like not obviously shredded getting on stage, but like, you know, lifestyle lean, you'd call it like, you know, if you invest the time in building more muscle, you can eat carbs and you can eat food and delicious food. It's like this, someone, it's so funny. Like when I'll go, oh, I was in the supermarket the other day and like, what's this market Harris I was, had all my groceries on there like heaps of orange juice you know we go through like bags of oranges and you yeah, know yeah. lots of fruit and milk and had some sugar there and coconut all this cut bread sourdough bread and the lady's just like do you eat all of those carbs and you look like you do you know I think there's this misconception around that you can't eat carbs and, you can't. Yep. Yeah. and that's another topic we should do a podcast on a muscle the value of building more muscle so that you can eat more food and maintain a leaner physique. Exactly. Yep. Those yeah. are all important things. Yeah. You hit the nail right on the head. There has been a lot of misinformation. We've gone through, God, it's been much too long, probably what, five, six, seven years now of this whole keto phase, you know, I've been at this for 30 years. So it's not like it's the first time I've seen the keto. I mean, look at you, Stan. You're in your 50s, right? You're pretty, pretty yeah, well based. 50, around 55 now. So I, I've seen this. I'm patient. I told you, you know, a couple of years ago, I got criticized for saying this or that by, you know, some academics on the podcast. And then a couple of years later, they're having guests on that completely contradict their complaints prior. Uh, I, I'm just patient. I watched, you know, Dr. Peter Atiyah is a uh, kind of quite popular uh, longevity, uh, influencer and a brilliant guy, a Stanford grad with a Johns Hopkins, uh, you know, oncology, uh, stint. And, um, you know, I watched him for three years, piss on keto sticks and give everybody his results. And I'm just patient. I just wait. They all come around. They do. Well, have you seen Paul Saladino's now getting into the car? Oh yeah. Part of hey, I'll tell you what, look up Paul Saladino and my podcast together when he had me down there he was strict he was strict uh carnivore keto intermittent fasting and listen to the podcast at the very end he was like oh, we, i was telling him the importance of carbohydrates particularly fruits you know meats and sweets time at the very least uh and dairy and i dm uh fall years ago yeah. and he said how do you get your calcium and he's like oh you know bone marrow and i'm like that doesn't work. <laughs> How do you get your calcium? You know, and I, I use the analogy, and this is true with Mike Mutzel, a, a guy I really enjoy uh, listening to. He, he was a, a devout keto intermittent fasting. Uh, same with uh, uh, there's a host of others that that were really big on keto that have since started incorporating carbohydrates, particularly around workouts. Like you said, with Paul Saladino, all of a sudden he included fruits and honey and, raw milk and, and yogurt, and yes. raw milk, and uh, which, you know, I don't care raw milk. That is, it's calcium, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and we need it in our diet. And, yeah. uh, uh, and the fruit is really just carbohydrates, <laughs> you know, however you choose. Rice, he's eating rice. Yeah, he's, he's, eating eating he's eating white rice and I, cause he, yeah, I don't white know, rice, yeah. Yeah, if you know, a guy, Georgie Dinkov, he's a guy in the pro metabolic community, really smart guy. He's, he's amazing. He sort of helped us with our skincare. He interviewed yeah. him, Paul interviewed him recently on his podcast. And, um, it was just so interesting listening to him and how he's just, like you said, come around now to drinking the milk and eating the fruit and eating the rice and the honey and the carbs. And, and you know, 
you know what that all comes down to at the end of the day? You can talk about the health benefits in terms of calcium, or you can talk about the polyphenols in the fruit. You could certainly, you know, go into a litany of, of you know, plausible or, or you know, mechanisms of action and all that people love to do. Uh, what it all comes down to at the end of the day, and I mentioned this earlier, is that, that as a powerlifter and bodybuilder for over 30 years, as a competitor and a coach of others, I, I just looked at performance. Yeah. Everything I did was based on performance. And it was immediate feedback, of course, as a bodybuilder and powerlifter. When you go into the gym and you have a, a significant decline in performance, you can very quickly, because it's immediate feedback, you can very quickly see that what you did in the last 48 hours probably was the most influential reason why you had a good or a bad workout. It doesn't take long. Mm. And so everything I did throughout my entire career was, you know, I said strength is never a weakness. If, if I was getting weaker, something was wrong. You know, yeah. if my performance was declined at any athlete, you know, whether it's for speed or endurance or anything, if you have a decline in performance, that's a problem. And you, you, there's a very short list of things that you can attribute to that. It's be sleep is probably at the top of the list uh, and nutrition and hydration. Those are probably three of the biggest uh, things. And with respect to nutrition, uh, carbohydrates absolutely help with an anaerobic performance. And for, uh, you know, both in terms of, of total strength and, and uh, you know, total volume in any given workout. So I, I can't say I was some genius, you know, that, that discovered all of this based on, you know, some nutrition science. I just noticed that when I eat certain foods and I don't eat certain foods, that, that my performance and that of my clients is, is dramatically improved. Uh, and I think that's what Dr. Peter Tia found out. That's what Mike Mutzel found out. That's what Paul Saladino found out is that when you start lifting weights, yeah. uh, not having carbohydrates dramatically impedes performance. And so all these guys started lifting weights pretty consistently. <laughs> and, and it was because of, I think a lot of the research that showed how important weight training was for longevity, that they all went headstrong into weightlifting. Uh, you know, it's not just for meatheads and powerlifters, you know, it, it's for people that want to live longer and, and that the studies were in uh, geriatrics and, and, you know, in elderly populations. They used grip strength as a proxy for uh, longevity for lifespan and health span uh, in terms of people's ability to avoid trip and fall and, you know, just be operational, be able to get up and walk around. And uh, so a lot of these guys started focusing their attention on strength training for longevity. And that's when they backed into the equation that, oh, hey, carbohydrates help with anaerobic performance. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> like we haven't known that for decades, <laughs> you know? But we watched them go through this, this uh, keto phase you know, talking about your body can burn ketones. It doesn't need glucose. It's like, well, go try and work yeah, but it's out. Like, that. who wants to just survive when you can thrive? Like bingo. And I said that on a on a podcast with all these guys. I said, look, you can get to the top of the Empire State Building by taking the stairs. I'm taking the elevator. <laughs> you know, and he, and you're exactly right. I said that about I said that about red meat, even in terms of a of an elimination diet. It's it's one of the only ones that that is. It has enough nutrients in it that you could eat it exclusively. I'm not recommending that, but um, you know, you couldn't get away with that with say spinach or acai berry or kale, or, you know, you'd be dead in no time trying to eat just that. That doesn't make it, you know, magic, but it is 
it is very nutrient dense. And we do have studies showing individuals eating only red meat uh, for over a year, I think, was one clinical study that was done. Um, and and these people do quite well. They fare quite well. Uh, like you said, they don't just survive, they thrive. And that's important to recognize in your diet that, uh, that there should be some uh, performance benefit. You should feel good on your diet. You shouldn't feel like crap, even if you're losing weight. If you have sufficiently diverse, uh, nutrient-dense you know, foods, that uh, you should be able to, to have energy. Um, you know, it... <clears throat> if I got you there. Uh, yeah, you know, there's two main reasons why people don't succeed on a diet. One is hunger, and the other one is, is lack of energy. Mm. And that's when they start binging because they're they're tired and, and hungry. And so we we try and mitigate those things with all the stuff that we just discussed. I think too, you know, we talked about this in previous podcasts. Is the women like they just do these two big calorie deficits? It's like you just don't yeah. eat too drastic. And when you're you know eating more, like we talked about, like eat oranges instead of drinking juice. So think foods that are going to fill you yeah. up. Add in some strength training because we found with our clients just just through experience working with them that ones that actually, you know, train hard three to four days a week, build muscle, they can eat more food and change yeah. their body composition, you know. Add some sporking right. in every day, you know. Prioritize your sleep so you're not having five hours sleep, which makes you so starving the next day and it's so hard to stick to your plan. So there's all these other things that you can do and just this gradual fat loss instead of, oh my God, I'm going to eat 1200 calories, which you can never stick to. And then you fall off the wagon and you eat like 10,000 calories in one weekend. Yeah, that's exactly what happens. <laughs> and they need help. And, and this isn't something you can say, here you go. And you're on your own. We found that uh, people like doctors and dietitians have very poor long-term uh, weight loss maintenance success because they just don't interact with the client often enough. Generally speaking, they're not affordable enough. And so it's the personal trainers on the front lines, the people who see their clients two, three times a week uh, or interact, you know, with weekly check-ins, you know, a lot of the things that you and I do. Uh, they just, people need a lot of, a lot of help along the way. Yeah, need accountability and support. I think you quoted some study, didn't you, when we did our last podcast about people who were successful at keeping the weight off, they had help or they had a plan. I think it was something yeah. like that, yeah. Yeah, that was from the weight loss registry, uh, something like, 98% of people went on the diet. They had a plan. Yep. They actually had a specific plan. And uh, the, those are people who lost over 60 pounds and kept it off for more than six years. The number one exercise was walking. Mm. Uh, you know, they, they, 78% uh, of them ate breakfast every day. <laughs> you know, it's so, it's simple, isn't it? These things like you're like, oh, all the things we talked about in our 10 tips. But, you know, I found that too, even myself, if I start my day with a really good breakfast with lots of protein, balanced with carbs and fats, it just sets me up. Plus, I think, you know, you've been fasting all night. So your glycogen stores are low, you're hungry. You know, I yeah. found when I, in the past, you know, I was back in the crazy diet days, I'd try and skip breakfast and then I'd just be so fucking starving and I'd end up just yeah. eating. And so, yeah, it was all these little simple things done consistently over a long period of time that, lead to these you know losing the weight and then keeping it off and yeah not, i agree because it's slow right like it's like it's nothing everyone's looking for this quick fancy fix it's going to happen overnight you didn't gain the weight overnight yeah 
Yeah. Muscle takes time to build. That's it. We've talked about this before. Like part, you know, if you want that, that body, you know, composition change, fat loss, I think can happen much quicker than muscle building. So it's like, you know, if I look at the best transformations in our program, like they're really good, they've built muscle, they've lost the body fat, improved their health, like it's 12 months, 12 to 18 months, I think is, is, you know. One of the big secrets there, I mentioned that the diet should be something that's sustainable, a lifestyle, things that you enjoy, just making good choices. Uh, the same would be true of exercise. That's why I love the 10-minute walks because there's not a big barrier to entry. There's easy to do, easy to comply with, you know, do two or three a day. That's fine. But as far as the training goes, some sort of resistance work, some progressive resistance work, sometimes you have to, to dig deep and find something that the individual enjoys. Uh, I do the kids' power hour on Sundays with little six and seven and eight-year-olds. And the most important thing is to make it fun. So I have to select exercises. So today we had a competition to see who could push the most weight on the sled, the furthest. And they really dove into it. I mean, the kids were sweating and they were just trying as hard as they could, you know, give them, you know, a variety of other exercises. They may not have put as much effort into it. Uh, it was a sense of competition and it was fun. Uh, I would say the same thing with a client. When I bring them into the gym, I got to remember just because I enjoy that doesn't mean that they do. And so I've got to fight like at my gym. I bought a standing chest press. Because a lot of people don't like the bench press. They don't necessarily like push-ups. So I got a standing chest press. It's 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 kind of a neat machine and people enjoy it. It's kind of easier to navigate for, uh, you know, older folks or those who aren't experienced training. Uh, same thing would be true. The reason why you put somebody on a, a kind of like a, a seated leg press machine with an adjustable stack as opposed to trying to get them to load 45s onto a hack squat. You know, this is... They're, they're probably not likely going to do it. Squatting isn't terribly enjoyable for most people, but a trap bar deadlift is pretty easy to perform and it, yeah. it gives them substantial resistance and, and it's measurable and they can see their progress over time in a very short period of time. Yeah. And that kind of thing starts to put the hooks in as soon as they see themselves getting stronger, then it becomes more desirable to come back. But the biggest mistake I see a lot of trainers do is they try and bring their client in, tire them out. Uh, get them to sweat and breathe hard, and they think that that's what what determines an effective workout. That's not anything anybody enjoys and, and looks forward to coming back to. Uh, I call it like burpees and battle ropes. Not not very you know enjoyable. Uh, so I, I'm averse to that. I, I try and avoid taking people into deep water. Uh, I just want to get them to do something to increase their strength, and then uh, that that they'll that they'll like, that's measurable, that they'll come back to, to, you know, enjoy the next time, take some 10 minute walks and, yeah, and like build it slowly. Hey, like build it, build gradually. You know, if you do, you that's might walk, then you mentioned like, okay, cool. I can get up in the morning. And, you know, like, I think that what you talked about too, Craig talks about a lot with our women, they're new to lifting. If we can get them to go to a gym that has machines to program yeah. in some like, you know, like for like low bar back squattings, it's technical. It's hard. Like it's a hard, it's hard, hard work. Yeah. It's hard to learn. It's taxing. It's yeah. taxing. Like, but you, even, you know, you put them on a hack squat or a pendulum squat or something, they can, it's just easier to learn the movement pattern to start with yeah. than, you know, like say the trap bar deadlift's pretty easy. You just have to hold it and stand up and, you know, yeah. it doesn't matter. Use the machines, progress the weight, and then you might get a bit more confident and go, okay, maybe I'd really like to squat now. Or maybe I'd never like to fucking learn how to squat. I don't know. Like, yeah. it doesn't matter. I like to use a, I like to use a little box squat with a couple of dumbbells and just have them sit down and stand yeah. back up and sit down. That whole reversing thing 
is not very enjoyable for most people. It's it's hard work to, to squat down and stand up without you know sitting on something. It's not something we we typically do in our in our lifestyle. Yeah. So those are the things I'm trying to do. Even like the uh, assisted dip chin machine, the one where you put your knees on the pad and, and you can adjust the bin. Yeah. Those are those are pretty neat for yeah. for inexperienced lifters or or folks that you know don't like lifting because you can make it easy. Yeah. You know, and then they're doing a chin do up. Dip, really, straight off the bat, no one can do dips, right? Like dips and chin ups. Yeah. No one can do, yeah. do them. Like and they're no, hard. No you know. We like to challenge ourselves that way, but they're hard. They're not very enjoyable for most people. But if you put them in a in a chin up machine with their knees on a pad and adjust the weight such that it's pretty, they'll be like, "Whoa, yeah, this is chin up." And then again, gradually over time, you know, add ten pounds that they'll work a little harder. But you don't you don't come out of the gate that way. It's not zero hundred, zero one, one to two, two to three, and that's all you really need because your body's not going to adapt any faster anyhow. You crush someone that, that, that's not how muscle works you know and you know they get those newbie gains dead you know when you the people first start lifting like that progress that they make in the first year it's like oh it's amazing well even the first 30 days that's the hook i use that to my advantage the newbie gains because we know that that neural adaptation is the primary reason for much of the strength increases you just get better coordinated at doing the movements and recruiting the muscles together. And so that's why I love the trap bar deadlift because the first workout, you know, they're able to lift the bar with maybe the big 10 pound, uh, plates. And then the very next workout, we're doing 15 pounds. The very next workout, they're doing 20 and the very next workout, they're doing 25. And they're like, Oh my God, I'm getting stronger. And you know, that's not really the case. Yeah. You know, yeah. like you said, it's, it's neural adaptation. They're just getting more coordinated. It'd be no different than, than learning to shoot tree throws. You know, you're going to airball nine out of 10 when you first start, then eventually you'll start making two out of 10, three out of 10, four out of 10. You just get more coordinated in the movement. And so that's why I love those easy to learn movements that, that people can progress very quickly. And they're like, oh my God, I'm making so much progress. Today I deadlifted this much. And last week I only deadlifted that much. And, exciting. Uh, it's, it is exciting. And I think that's the hook. I think that's why CrossFitters start especially women start competing in powerlifting because they love the feel of pulling on a deadlift bar for a heavy single and then a week or two later they're lifting more and a week or two later they're lifting more and that's addictive uh it is, it is and it's still addictive now do you think like today i've got i've um doing rdls is my first first lift and like last week i did 142 and a half for nine so i'm doing going for 145 today that'll be an all-time pb on my rdls and i've been thinking about it all morning thinking i gotta get this fucking 145 you know it's exciting yeah yeah so sean baker and i you know dr sean baker is the carnivore guy from uh up in seattle washington we had a little competition a year ago deadlifting a trap bar we've both been lifting all our lives i mean since we were teenagers <laughs> we're we're both 55 now and we were at Mark Bell's a year ago and we did a trap bar competition. It was 405 for reps or something. And I beat him like by one rep or two reps. And he, uh, he just came back a week ago and showed a video of him beating my number <laughs> that a year later, he's still <laughs> training at 55 years old. And he added two or three reps to his 405 for rep total. We were up around, I don't know, 20, 25 reps or something. Oh and, gosh. Uh, but I, it, it, it is like, even as slow as that is, as long as it takes, it's those little, we still have these little goals in our mind, you know, 
and, and it's easy to measure and it's immediate feedback. Yeah, no, totally. So get on the strength training, everyone, is what we're saying. It's exciting. Yeah. Your muscle. And you can look awesome like Stan when you're 55. If you haven't, you check yeah. out. You have to go to his, follow him on Instagram. He often posts videos. I mean, Stan, you look like you're 40. I mean, thank you. Yeah, it really amazing. is the best you. It really is. I think yeah. it is. I agree. I agree. And awesome. Oh, well, thanks so much for coming on again, Stan. I always love having the chats with you. Um, such a, uh, you know, so, so knowledgeable and you're just such a nice person too. You really, and so a bit, so balanced too, you know, in all the world of the extreme restrictive diets. Um, so I'll pop all the, the links to Stan's Instagram page, follow him. You can go there, see his vertical diet and all the stuff that he does in coaching. And, um, yeah, we'll have to get you on to talk about the, the, maybe next time the strength training and, you know, body composition change and why it's beneficial when it comes to losing body fat, building muscle. I think it's probably yeah. one of the most, I feel really underrated things. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. Well, thanks for having me on. Your audience uh, wants to send out, any, um, at Stan Eppertings, my Instagram, I promised I would send research if anybody was interested in yeah. following up on anything that was talked about today. So, and then stanepperting.com is my website. Awesome. Thanks so much, Stan. Stan.